You're listening to Red Button. Conversation, please. Thank you. Now, are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then we'll begin. You're listening to Box Thirty Nine Red Button. With special guest Simon Grinham. And 
welcome. You're all very, very welcome to this Box 39 Red Button, our later evening conversation show coming live from Studio One here at Colm Radio Towers on 106.6 FM, Colm Radio, and because of the wonderful internet all across the entire world. This is Bill Lawrence, and I'm here tonight with my very special guest, who is Mr. Simon Grinham. Hello, thank you very much. Lovely to have you, Simon. Now, Simon is one of those people who's absolutely rooted in our communities here in Colchester and North Essex and elsewhere. He's he's a nurse. He's very much a family man. He is a local activist and he works with uh, Colchester community groups to do lots of uh, lots of interesting stuff, which we'll talk about later. And Simon, you're actually a beekeeper as well, aren't you? Well, indeed, I am. That's a- an apiarist. An apiarist. Yeah. To give us a proper name. <laughs> and most fascinating fascinating you're going to tell us all about it you had a childhood in east africa i did i lived the uh, first five years uh, in east africa well that's uh, not many of us here in the colchester area can say that so that's going to be extremely interesting to find out about that so um, we one of the things we do simon in this show is we ask you as our guests to choose all eight pieces of music and the first one that you've heard you chose that was florence and the machine with rabbit heart so can you tell us why you chose that uh, yeah i well I kind of um, got into Florence and Machine quite early on because my son at the time was taking photos uh, of bands and that, and he somehow blagged his way into the backstage. Uh, this was probably 2007 or eight, um, and interviewed uh, this lady. Okay. And he came back and I said, oh, I interviewed this person because Florence and the Machine, and yeah. it was really good. Yeah. And I thought, that's quite interesting. So we started listening to her music. And then I think 2010, I then saw her... Um, at Latitude probably and she was very good indeed yeah. you know and I really enjoy her lyrics um, it also is another um, this song is one of my what I call my Covid songs uh, when I had Covid it was one of the kind of upbeat songs that I tried to listen to to focus yeah. myself yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was trying to get better you know it's a terrific song. Well, thank you for that. And we're looking forward to the rest of your choices as well. Now, I did mention uh, that you're this sort of uh, uh, the polymath of community <laughs> life here in Colchester. Oh, you're big enough, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm not a Colchester person, you see. So... Uh, one of the things I will always remember, uh, uh, and thank you for, Simon, is that when I've come to Colchester, you've pointed out some really interesting bits that I probably would never have known about. <laughs> now, I got to know you through uh, many years ago, through, I think, our children going to the same school. And in that time since then, uh, you've, you've delighted me by finding me um, little hidden niches in Colchester, a couple of hidden churches, a, a most gorgeous view where I go uh, when I'm very, very stress i drive to so um you've sort of helped me find colchester and only a truly colchester person a colcestrian would have been able to and i consider you to be a true colcestrian well, that's nice of you <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your background to your life here in colchester well yeah well strangely enough i wasn't born here right. i was born in crawley in a council flat all right okay <laughs> um and uh i didn't move here till i was six um and uh previous to that um we were living in africa um all right well we'll talk about that yeah we'll talk about that soon um but as you were in culture so what was your what, when you left school well what happened then? well i left school and i think quite a few 
people of my age, uh, we didn't do that well at school. I had particularly problems with reading and writing, and so I struggled a bit. Um, and um, I was lucky enough to be on a course at school where um, it linked with local industry. And as, if you passed the two years, the last two years, you were guaranteed a job. And uh, I got an apprenticeship at Culture Lathe Companies. Where is it now? <laughs> and I sometimes speak to people, and people didn't. I say there used to be a massive factory <laughs> down where uh, Hyde Tesco's is, and people don't even know. No, I wouldn't know. No, it's all gone. It was huge. Okay, so you were part of that initially. Yes, I did four years apprenticeship, um, which was a bit. Um, I quite enjoyed the engineering, but the actual place was falling to bits, and yeah. they were making machines that they couldn't sell. Yeah. And so each year, more and more people were made redundant. Yeah. So you decided then that that was uh, something you needed to get away from, move away from, time to move on. Definitely. And, and so where did you move to? Well, I had um, I had toyed with the idea of youth work. But yeah. In fact, youth work is quite difficult to get paid properly for. for. Tell me about um, it. And um, because of my writing problems, um, I wanted to do something that was useful. And I thought, oh, maybe, you know, nursing would be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, my mum was a nurse and she used to come home uh, from night duty and tell us all kind of dreadful things. She'd sit in A&E and this kind of stuff. And um, I think maybe on the back of that, I thought, oh, this, you know, would be a good thing to go into. And in those days, you could do, go in to do two years training as a right. enrolled nurse. Yeah. Uh, which is a non-academic route, yeah. and so I took that route, um, yeah. you know, because I didn't have um, the uh, qualifications to do the main yeah. training. Okay, and now, 30, 40 years later? <laughs> well, it's 36 years later, wow. yes, yeah, so. um, and uh, I've, re- I've done lots of training since, um, yeah. and I'm still working, um, and I work in A&E myself. Yeah. Um, so I'm, you're still on the front line? Well... I've moved away from the uh, major stuff and I do uh, more kind of uh, minor injuries is my specialism. Right, Um, So, you know, if you come with a cut and bruise, small breaks and (laughs) things like that, then uh, you'll see me or someone like me. Well, my grown-up children, uh, remember, you've patched them up. Well, I've patched you up. (laughs) Yes, you did. I think you're you're big toe. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not talk about that. Yeah. And... um, also, you're a family man, aren't you? You've got um, uh, yes. uh, uh, very successful children and uh, <laughs> yes. Mrs. Simon as well, Bernadette. Um, so you're known as sort of a family man as well. I think so. I think when you have three children, um, you know, and you're kind of known around the area, yeah, you know. Um, but it's strange as that moves on, doesn't it? Because your children leave home and then you're no longer known through them anymore, are you? Right. One the people you used to know through them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so things change, don't they? Yeah. And now I know, I think this was more before I knew you, you were involved with uh, a local church. Well, we used to be very involved with uh, the St. Stephen's Church in Canterbury Road. Yeah. We used to live in Newtown and yeah. it was a very uh, a socially aware church. Yeah. Um, we used to do lots of community projects and really be in there with the community and we were, uh, we took our children there and we were involved in the various things they did and we were involved in, um, them build the new building yeah um yeah but so when we moved house we we then kind of left but that has that was a good grounding for uh the the sort of community group you're involved very involved with a local community group aren't you that has saved sort of wildlife areas well in the middle of culture <laughs> we have a local residence group where yeah. in the roads we live and um i've always kind of believed in that you should be 
involved in the things around you, directly around you. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if people, uh, rather than travelling to places to do things, just did stuff with the people around them, uh, it would change a lot of things. So uh, the group's done all kind of things, and we've just recently painted all our lampposts, uh, which was <laughs> Why amazing. <not>? Yeah. <laughs> um, Why have you painted your lampposts? Well, because these these black lampposts, uh, you know, are very old, and yeah. they used to be gas lights. Right. And um, the council has kind of withdrawn their responsibility from them. And in fact, if they go wrong, they'll just pull them up and put a cheap, nasty one in the place. Yeah. And so uh, I think it was the Civic Society started this off and then um, Roman Road did theirs and then uh, we all got together um, with some uh, uh, Helen who organised most of it wonderfully um, and we got them all done last summer and loads of people joined in it was a real good exercise in uh, you know community yeah well we love community here on this show and, and people Everyone is part of a community, whether you realise it or not. I think that's something people sometimes think, well, it's nothing to do with me, but then they will benefit enormously from what other people do. They might not want to take part themselves, but everyone is part of a community in, in some way or another. Now, we'll talk more about that perhaps later on, and we're going to talk about your early childhood in Africa, but we're going to listen to a piece of music that is very relevant to that early childhood it's something i've never played before in this show <laughs> after five years we're going to be playing the national anthem of tanzania which is called uh what's it called <laughs> it's called, i can't say that mungo banki africa africa yes i think it's god bless tanzania okay and why have you chosen that uh well i think uh the tune is just um etched in my brain because yeah. we used to hear it a lot you know and so uh i thought why not <laughs> listening to as Yvonne said there to box 39 red button Simon Grinham's here and uh, Simon we can now talk about your childhood in Africa and uh, you were just saying to me as we were listening to that that it's a sort of very common national anthem in terms of its tune in, in, mm. in the continent of Africa yeah I think it's it's a South African national anthem as well and I think when you watch their rugby yeah. team you hear it played as well yeah well, so so you've chosen that 
because this ties in with your childhood. So what were you doing in Tanzania well, as a child? Well, I was just uh, obviously being uh, pulled around my parents. But um, I think um, my uh, parents come from Brighton and um, they were living in Crawley. And um, my dad was a teacher. Right. And I think he just wanted a bit of adventure. And one of his other teacher friends had um, done this thing about going abroad uh, with this organisation to be a teacher. I think it was sponsored by the English government. And uh, he said, well, why not? And I think originally it was going to be in Kenya. Um, but um, that fell through and they ended up going to um, Tanzania instead, um, where um, I think they, he said he borrowed £30 from the bank. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And uh, took his uh, <laughs> uh, my mum and um, the us two children. Which at that time, I think we're both uh, under two and a half anyway. Yeah. Um, to this foreign country, um, and obviously it was the time before mobile phone, the internet, or anything like that. Yeah. So communication is not like it is now. So cut off from from Britain. Well, in, in ways, some ways, letters. Yeah, just letters, um, and they've been going through some letters recently. It's been funny that I think they yeah. found them in my nan's stuff. Yeah. Uh, the letters they sent her yeah, yeah. about, and it's quite hilarious about the description of me and my brother. <laughs> uh, you know, over there getting to scrapes and things like yeah, that. You yeah. know. Um, so you're a little, very little toddler. I was very small when I went over, yeah. uh, you know, but I can remember surprisingly a lot about it. And, yeah. um, I can remember things that I've not been told. And I often surprise my mum and dad saying, Oh no, I can remember that. Yeah. And, uh, my, my older brother has, seems to have less memory than I do about right. it. But I, I think it kind of really. So what sort of things do you remember? I remember layout, for example, I remember layouts of places. I remember yeah. the layout of the kindergarten. Yeah. Um, exactly where, which room was where and things like that. Yeah. Um, I remember, uh, like little adventures me and my brother had in the garden that we couldn't have been told, you know, that yeah. it was just me and him. Um, and I remember some of, <laughs> I remember some of the injuries I got. And in fact, lots of, uh, the, I had lots of injuries. Yeah. Um, uh, and so these kind of unique things that I, I've not been told, you know, um. So your, your dad, what was your dad doing out there? He was teaching in a local school. It was, lo- it was a local school. Um, it was all to Africans. Um, yeah. and, um, it was, it was a well kept school, very, you know, nice looking. And we had a property on the school grounds. Right. Um, and so that came with the job as well. And was um, this in a town or a It's in a town. It's in a town called Moshi. And, yeah. uh, Moshi, uh, I mean, now it's actually quite a big town. Yeah. I think it's got over 150,000 people now. Okay. Yeah. Um, but part of that is like a shanty town as well. And it is directly below, um, Kilimanjaro. Right. So, uh, we saw Kilimanjaro every day. So we lived in Africa, but every day we saw snow, which was, you know, one of those <laughs> things. Um, and it's as used now, it's quite a base for trekking up Kilimanjaro. So people tend to go to, um, Moshi, um, stay there for a bit. And then they'll go to another village around the corner called Morangu. Um, and from there they trek up. Um, yeah. down the mountain. And you, what did your mum do? Well, my mum is a nurse, um, but while she was over there, she actually taught in kindergarten. In fact, she was my first ever teacher and she wrote <laughs> my first ever report. <laughs> and even in that report, she said, oh, <laughs> tries hard, but you know, could do better. <laughs> so, uh, what, what happened then? At what age were you when you, when you left? Well, um, I left, um, I think we were, I was five. Um, to come back here, but um, we had lots of adventures over there, yeah. um, you know, um, and um, 
I'm sure we, I can say a few of them now. <laughs> a lot of them are based around injuries, really. And yeah. the, I was speaking to my mum today about this, and she said the first day we arrived, I was 13 months old, and um, uh, she was sorting some things, things out. They didn't have much belongings. They only had two suitcases, and they're waiting for some stuff to be delivered. Um, and uh, the next thing she you know, I'd grab the keys and I'd put them in a socket, <laughs> and I'd got electrocuted and thrown oh, across oh the God. room <laughs> that was wow. the very first day that was a welcome to africa really <laughs> <laughs> so you came back um as a, as a youngster but you have returned to moshi haven't you uh, yeah, I have returned uh, uh, in 2007, 20, sorry, 2007, um, we kind of convinced my p- mum and dad to come back. Uh, they had um, kind of wanted to leave memories where they were, I think, but yeah. they were very glad they did, and um, it was an incredible adventure. Um, we contacted um, someone um, called Margaret Gibbs, um, and my parents had um, known her, and she'd owned this um, coffee plantation, which had now turned into a hotel or kind of, yeah, hotel's the wrong word. It's a beautiful, high-class uh, kind of a hotel. Mm. Um, uh, and um, she was really pleased um, that they contacted her. And so she had looked after us for the first week. And um, she just happened to uh, not only um, have accommodation right next to the hotel, um she also ran a lodge out in the Serengeti and she ran a safari company and she staffed a tented lodge up further in the Serengeti and she basically looked after us for a whole week and we stayed in this incredible hotel um, which then the days and this is 13 years ago she was already completely green she had completely organic vegetables i mean acres of it yeah. um all the electricity was solar and the and was the um showers um an early adopter yeah yeah, yeah. and that was no, that's not easy to do in the middle of nowhere no i bet you know yeah. um so on your re on your visit back did it bring back memories do you did you go and say i remember this it's uh, so well, for every, i remember it or? well for everyone it did i we went um back to the kindergarten yeah okay and um uh, when we were at the kindergarten, it was a mixed kind of kindergarten. Um, now it was um, just for locals, it seemed, and it was very, very uh, poor. Yeah. Um, and in the garden um, was this um, these play stuff. There was a slide <laughs> and a swing, and they were the same when I was a child. <laughs> and uh, there's a famous story in our family of um, when I was about three, um, my mum was teaching there, and um, the children... Uh, shouted, uh, oh, Simon's had his head chopped off. And she'd found that I'd been hit by a swing to the top of my head. And um, it is that swing that's si- sitting there still, uh, my nemesis. And I had a, a big uh, laceration to my scalp that they then um, uh, took me to the local doctors. And uh, I, I can remember being held down while they stitched me up. <laughs> um, and the scar's still there at the top wow. here. And I've for years, I've used the front of the scar as a measurement of my receding hairline, and it's now just meeting it. <laughs> what brilliant memories. Well, look, you've chosen uh, our next piece of music, and this is by The Foles, and it's called Spanish Sahara. So why have you chosen that one? Um, uh, well, I think this is more... I love this band. Um, I've seen them live, and they were absolutely uh, superb. And... Um, 
the music is kind of about a war that happened in the Spanish uh, part of the Sahara, a very bloody war that went on for a long time. And I think with the kind of Ukraine thing happening, I just kind of felt it had a certain feeling to it, you know, so that's why I've chosen it today. Personality by Phil Bose. Original short stories written by our listeners here in our community. Plant Eaters by Tony Pierce. Angels by Yvonne P. Nick with Rowan by Steve Gale. Merry Men by Ian Sayers. And there's a whole big bag of my onions blended with gorgeous music every Tuesday evening at 8 and Sunday evening at 10 here on 106.6 FM Colm Radio. Promenade Hotel by Adrian Gale. The Kraken Awakes by Paul Hooper. By Pamela Ennis. Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Innovative voices, original stories, and tasty music. Well, the 
team had another fight King was careless with his tango grip Nearly lost his queen in a dip Yeah, she righted herself Straightened out her slip And kicked him in the shin Miss Billy Begonia thinks She's hit the big time She wants a thick red rug From the dressing room door To the front line of the footlights She's got a sky blue swans down powder puff And a corset to keep her spirits up Listening to Box 39 Red Button with special guest Simon Grinham. And this is Bill Lawrence, and I'm chatting to Simon, and uh, in our conversation, it's interspersed with Simon's choices of music. And Simon, you chose the second piece of music we heard there, which was by Maria McKee, Panic Beach. Why did you choose that piece? Uh, well, I've uh, kind of followed Marie McKee for years. She used to be in a band called Lone Justice in the late 80s. Um, and she wrote Show Me Heaven um, uh, and sung it as well. But uh, apart from that, she's not really well known. But I love her. She's a really good storyteller. Yeah. And um, a lot of the songs are very compassionate. Um, and yeah. I've just enjoyed her singing over the years, really. Well, that's wonderful. Now, we've left you uh, in Africa as a young child on your way back. But uh, what was Africa like? Was it, was it, uh, was it, um, um, where you were was it clean modern where we were was um was in a nice house the yeah. road there wasn't roads the built up roads they were all dirt roads yeah. um, except for the very main roads um but we had a big large garden and we had a lot of freedom but in that we had some problems as well you used to get these march ants okay. who would just go they'd go for your house they're just in a march and about uh, you know all together um and you do want to get them on you yeah. uh there used to be a little um uh, a fly that used to um uh bite you and uh and lay their egg in you called a oh. tumba 
uh, Toomba fly, right. and uh, you'd so have to squeeze these out. If you didn't squeeze them out, then they'd turn into a maggot in your skin, and then eventually the fly would break out your skin and fly off. <laughs> so my mum would have to kind of squeeze them out, you know, when we got them. Um, and we'd, uh, me and my brother would find snakes in this garden and things like that, you know. Um, so my memory is it was of, th- of this really um, secure, happy, wide open yeah. kind of childhood, really, um, which was dispersed by <laughs> when we got back we ended up going uh to a, a two-bedroom downstairs a flat in brighton <laughs> <laughs> and as you can imagine the shock and the difference between yeah. the two places and so i can imagine as a kid you were probably preferred it in africa well i think that's almost where we felt we belonged and we yeah. should be yeah um yes it's it's kind of stayed with us both me and my brother for our lives really yeah you've still got very much a sort of sense of that within you yeah and i'm i'm quite determined i'll go back again yet so i think wait for covid to settle down yeah because it's a bit chaotic in tanzania um but i'll definitely i I want to just go back and hang out in the in the town really and uh don't get bitten by that fly (laughs) don't get bitten by a dumba fly (laughs) 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 okay so uh returning to england and you've adapted and lived in england and as we talked about you lived your life in in colchester and then most recently within the last few years you've become uh an apiarist a beekeeper a a man a, a honey maker yes so why why did you do this um well several reasons or several things happened um uh I had, I've kind of picked up some injuries on the way <laughs> through my life and um, it's got to a point where I was realising what I thought I was going to be doing uh, is not what I um, will be able to do. Right. And I thought, well, I need to do something social. Um, and at the same time, um, I'd read a book by Dave Goulston, Professor Dave Goulston, called A Sting in the Tail, which is all about bumblebees, right. which is just, <laughs> sounds, sounds obscure, but it's a fantastic book. Yeah. Very interesting. And that same year I was reading that, a friend of mine uh, from the hospital, Will, um, keeps bees. And he said this, and he, I said, oh, can I come and have a look? So we went round and we went through all the hives. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting. Yeah. And um, I thought, I think I could do this. Yeah. So... Um, so you now keep hives. So uh, how many hives have you got? Well, um, I keep, I've got two at the yeah. moment. It's very yeah. difficult to keep one. In fact, it's not really, it's not the best thing to do because you have to kind of correct different problems you get with one with the other hive. Right. Um, and so this year and, well, last year I had two. I want to get up to about four hives. Okay. Um, but I'm going to have to restrict it a little bit because, um, uh, they take a lot of time and, yeah. uh, um this year i may not have that to do um and yeah. also gonna have space i've got i'm in someone's garden at the moment and really for four you'd need more space than that so i'm looking for a uh site um yeah because you you live right in the center of colchester so yeah. i'm assuming they're not in your back garden they're not there. in my garden i've only got yeah. a small garden and um having just begun and this is my going to be my third year yeah. um there is a lot to learn and also bees if you're not taken care of properly uh they can become quite angry things you know yeah. the idea is you slowly breed in your own bees uh, uh you know quieter gentle bees yeah. um but for the first year my bee having the bees my bees were very angry and it wasn't <laughs> much fun and yeah. i got stung quite a few times and Ooh. i was very concerned about the neighbors even where they were yeah and i would if i was keeping them town i'd be very worried you know yeah. i think maybe as i get more proficient yeah, yeah. Uh, that might settle down a bit you know well we're going to talk more about uh, life as a honey farmer 
um, after uh, another couple of bits of music. And very appropriately, music choice number five is by a wonderful band, Taj Mahal, and the song Queen Bee. Lovely. So why have you chosen that? Well, I love Taj Mahal. I only found him about two years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's a bit like a, a version of B.B. King, really, but younger yeah. version. And he's got oh, such a nice tone to his voice. And I thought this song, you know, just fits in nicely. Wait for them, honey, bee. Baby, sweet on me. Then a honey, bee. My queen bee. Oh, Rock me to my soul, rock me to my soul, rock me to my soul, rock me to my soul. Strut, shake and shake and sound. Oh, watch and I look at him run. Shake it, shake it, song. Oh, dancing, having fun, mama, won't you? Rock me to my soul. 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 is the magazine, music, and chat show called Box 39. I'll have another go. <laughs> Land of Fuff, Paul Blimey, O'Reilly. William Blue with Go, 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 Go. This is worth my license fee just for this. The Mild Box 39. Distinctive and unique on Cole Radio, Thursdays at 8pm. Just move on to something else. Firstly, before you give up the will to breathe, <laughs> and I have to call an ambulance. Can we have some music, please, Mr. Lawrence? Okay.
Listening to Box 39 Red Button with special guest Simon Grinham. Well, I'm here talking to Simon. I'm Bill Lawrence, and we're having a, a very interesting conversation about uh, your hobby at the moment. More than a hobby, or, or something you do it takes a, a lot of your time and care, which is beekeeping. Hmm. And uh, one thing I'm very interested about, I'd be frightened, Simon, that they would sting me. Have you <laughs> ever been stung? Well, I've been stung quite a few times now. <laughs> uh, I couldn't say exactly. I, I think it's done about 17 times. Right. But in fact, um, that's always been through clothing. Uh, and that's but, despite wearing uh, safety stuff. So you have, a proper, you have a proper suit? Yeah, yeah. But for the first year, I did it because it was hot. So I just wore shorts and T-shirts. And right. I didn't realise they could wiggle their stings just through some of the material yeah. and sting you. How much I mean, how much does a suit like that cost? Um, well, <laughs> my first one was 35 quid. Yeah. My newest one, it was nearly 200 quid because I thought, this is it. I'm yeah. getting a proper, you know, something good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. So you, you wear this, the the gear the masks the gloves yep and you still get stung despite all that uh yeah you can do i it depends how you do i've i've made a couple of mistakes in the past and it's difficult to explain to people who don't understand beekeeping but there's a lot to it and it's become yeah. more difficult since this varroa mice attacked them so it's actually more difficult to keep bees and, right. and it's you have to constantly watch them and um so i had to go to them one day and it was very very stormy Okay, yeah. and I had to do a quick thing, just in, out, and do it. And um, th- I was all f- fully geared up, except I forgot my wellies. Right. Okay, I just had shoes and socks on. I quickly went in, and they went nuts. They poured out the hive, yeah. and they stung me around the ankle, oh. both ankles. 
ten times. I don't know, loads of times. They just knew you weren't. They just, your shoes. They just went for it. Yeah, <laughs> I've since learnt. <laughs> One, you'd never open them up when it's stormy. Now you have your uh, hives. I know just sort of north of Colchester. Is that because it's? I mean, is there a particular taste of North Colchester in the honey? Would you say? Mm, I well, last year. Um, I had, um, I didn't realize at the time, but there was a rape seed field right next to me. Yeah. And rape really is a particular taste. Yeah. And so I ended up with this really creamy honey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very dependent on what, um, they're uh, foraging on, you know, what yeah. they're bringing in. And so and some, some places, if, if they're in the middle of just lavender fields, like yeah. in Norfolk, you will get pure lavender honey. Yeah. And they all taste differently and look different as well. And could you actually, in two separate years, with hives in the same place get different tasting honeys because of what that year's climate has been like and what has grown well that year and not grown well that year i think so I and mean, they did taste my two lots of honey tasted very different my first year's one yeah. was very uh was kind of liquidy and uh was nice but the second year one was very uh creamy and nice now you have to uh, and you know i'm very ignorant on this sort of thing if you had a uh, a hive of a different type of bee with a different queen would that make the, the honey a different taste um oh, i don't know but in england it, they tend to be very similar bees being okay. used okay um, what what variety of bee do you have uh, well um i think generally mine is uh, be like the english black bee right. um okay um and it's they're locally um sourced queens my friend bought the first queen on yeah. um and um it's very important the queen because the gen- genetics go through the queen yeah. um and so yeah. if the, your hive uh, quite an angry bees it's because of her genetics oh, right. so if you change the queen you often change the hives wow. and that's what happened with mine and they totally changed after i changed the queen um yeah so you know the queen in your hive you've seen the queen um you try and mark the queen actually so you can see it more easily so how do you mark with a, with a, a bee? you've got a special pen yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah and um so i've done that with one of mine the other one i've seen but been uh, unable to get to marker but and, i'm still learning so yeah. you know there's still lots of skills and i, I belong to the culture uh bee society and yeah. they're really good and you get lots of uh, knowledge and, uh, and and you can tell the queen that's because that's the one wearing the crown is it <laughs> indeed <laughs> the queen is actually uh bigger than the others that's right. why yeah and so you get all sorts of different bees you've got the queen who is the genetic input that absolute vital part of the whole society mm. and then you have different types of bee you have worker bees well and- you have yes so the the worker bees are all queen all sorry all female in right. fact they're all sisters yeah okay including the queen right. um and so uh it works by the genetics go through one of the sisters which is the queen yeah okay so the genetic material is passed on the drones which are the males who don't sting are just there really um there for breeding yeah. but they seem to have some sort of calming effect on um hives as well um that's with the honeybees i mean there's lots of other variety of bees called um, solitary bees yeah um and they're the ones that tend to be a bit more in trouble um environmentally yeah. because um uh, for, uh, you know not so many places to forage um and pollution of course of course pesticides yeah yeah so pesticides of course are wonderful things because they ensure that our crops are pest free mm. however no one tells the bees to not go not go there <laughs> not go there so this is having an impact do we have pesticides now that are bee friendly 
Uh, I don't. I don't know that. I know we have a lot that aren't friendly. In fact, the government has just allowed some more to be used, yeah. particularly in East Anglia on yeah. the on on the um, sugar beet. So there's a sort of um, battle between uh, commercial needs of agriculture and things like bees. So can we do without the bees? I mean, would it matter if all the bees were wiped out? Well, they do do a lot of pollinating. I mean, there are other pollinators, but I think the problem is you wipe them out. That's more a statement of your um, what you think about nature. If you've yeah. got to the point where you've wiped something like insects out, um, yeah. then your countryside's in a pretty bad way, isn't yeah. it? You know, yeah. um, I don't know if you ever watched the second Blade Runner movie. Yeah, uh, you know when he goes finally finds an old Blade Runner and he finds his beehives. He's walked through miles and miles of this white nothingness, no plants, and his beehives. And I thought, no, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. would have nothing to feed on. You know, so oh, so uh, is is uh, the answer to it to rely on. on People, good people like yourselves who are preserving a couple of hives here and a couple of hives there, is that really what is saving the pollinators uh, against the sort of the, the, the beast, the huge beast of, of commercial pesticide ridden well, farming? Well, I think um, that, that is uh, pressure groups are useful and beekeepers are part of that. Yeah. Um, but I think um, integrated um, like um, management of pests yeah. is what they need to do so they're not so reliant on these pesticides yeah are there many people like yourself with just a couple of hives here and there loads yeah yeah, is that? yeah it's a huge around culture it's very well supported all right and 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 their honey is the sort of thing that ends up in church fates and, yes yeah. generally yes yeah. so where does all the honey come from that's in asda then is um, that honey, are they commercial honey uh, are they commercial uh, hives somewhere <laughs> well they come from non-eu sources which is vague and uh it there's a lot of research to show that um they shouldn't really be called honey it's more yeah. of a sugary syrup sure but do, there. do we have commercial uh bee rearing in this country oh yes so there's people with hundreds of hundreds of hundreds and hundreds. yes yeah yeah and they're just out in the country though, outside there yeah. somewhere in Suffolk and Norfolk and wherever. Yeah, it's full-time job, lots of work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're the ones that would produce thousands of jars of honey. Yes, they'd probably more end up in more specialist shops, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's a wonderful job you're doing. Keep it, I have to say, I have uh, had some of your honey. <laughs> yeah, and it was absolutely delicious. Thank you. So, uh, uh, all power to your elbow, uh, but no more stings to your elbow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next piece of music then, Simon. This is a wonderfully named uh, band, the Revolutionary Army of the Infant Jesus and the Bright Field. Now, this is quite unusual. <laughs> well, you know you all have a secret band, don't you, that no one else knows about? This is mine, and I first encountered them about 25 years ago, and they're an, actually an arts collective from Liverpool, um, and they've mixed old Eastern sounds with uh, classical music um, to create these amazing landscapes. Um, and in this one, of course, they include some poetry of R.S. Thomas, um, who I really enjoy as well. I have seen the sun break through to illuminate a small field for a while and gone my way and forgotten it. But that was the pearl of great price, the one field that had the treasure in it. I realize now that I must give all that I have to possess it. Life is not hurrying on to a receding future, nor hankering after an imagined past. It is the turning aside like Moses, the 
miracle of the lit bush, to a brightness that seemed as transitory as your youth once. It is the eternity that awaits you. listening to Box 39 Red Button with special guest Simon Grinham. Okay, thank you Simon. Uh, we've only got another couple of minutes left unfortunately but I do want to talk to you very briefly about the wonderful work you've done in your local orchard. Tell us about that. Right, well I've only been a, a small part of this. Uh, there's a big team but um, we have a uh, orchard um, that is behind Irvine Road. It's been hidden for years. I know it from uh, when I was brought up in Irvine Road. I used to go scrumping in it. And we've tried to protect it for the last 15 years. But about seven years ago, it finally got the go to be sold. Um, but we worked with the um, developer and he's only built on 40%, and the rest of the orchard has been given back to us for a pound uh, a year. But we're trying to raise, I think, uh, £50,000 to buy it for 999 year lease, and we're now turning it into an orchard, a community orchard. So we've uh, they've had pruning courses, uh, we have work parties, um, and uh, it's been a really good thing, brought the community together, as well as, you know, hopefully we'll be getting some apples and stuff we can use. Can you keep your bees on it? Well, that's why I was going to start beekeeping. But no, there's there's a plan where it's a very good, important site for solitary bees. And oh, if you put beehive in there, they basically wipe all those out because they they take all the forage. You put fifty thousand honeybees, yeah. you know, the solitary bees haven't got a chance. So, uh, no. <laughs> well, good luck with that project, and uh, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been and we've got one last piece of music. We're going to go out with this, and it's Ben Howard. Keep your head up. 
and tell us about that. Uh, well, I chose this because this was my song when I was very ill with COVID. Uh, this song just really spoke to me, you know, uh, and it speaks about him coming back and, and telling the person uh, about where he's been and that person could see the place he'd been to. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, COVID was quite difficult for me and it just really helped me through. So that's why I've chosen it. And the album it comes from is one of my favourite albums as that's, well. So. That's wonderful. Okay, Simon, we'll go out with that. And uh, once again, thanks very much. Good luck with the bees. Thank you. I spent my time watching the spaces that have grown between us, and I cut my mind on second best. All the scars that come with the greenness, and I gave my eyes to the boredom. Still, the seabed wouldn't let me in, and I tried my best to embrace the darkness in which I swim. Now, walking back down this mountain, the strength of a turn and a tide, all oh, the wind so soft at my skin, yeah, the sun's so hot upon my side, all oh, looking out. At this happiness, I search for between the sheets, or feeling blind, but realize all I was searching for was me. Oh, 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 all I was searching for was me. is a guppy production for Cone Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience.